right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. We have a great episode today. Uh, I had an interview this week with David Cannon. David, if you're not familiar, uh, I'm going to try not to repeat myself too much from what I say in the intro when he comes on, but an absolutely legendary career as a golf photographer has traveled all over the world covering just an almost uncountable amount of events, Masters, Open Championships, Ryder Cups, and has seen it all. And even if you're not familiar with his name, his pictures are everywhere. Just opened up in, uh, the issue of Sports Illustrated, the big picture of Tiger Woods. Uh, after winning the Masters is, of course, from David Cannon uh, from Getty Sports. He teaches a few lessons on photography, how he got into it. And uh, we've never had a photographer on, and he's he's the one we had circled on our list to, uh, to have on for quite some time. But uh, we are going to be, uh, as many of you are familiar, we're going to be in Ireland for the next couple of weeks, actually shooting season four of our travel series, Tourist Sauce. So uh, don't expect anything PGA Tour or professional golf related over the next couple of weeks. We have another episode with a PGA Tour winner from this season that will go up next Sunday night. Uh, and then we have this issue as well. We're really looking forward to this trip. Follow us along on Instagram, on Twitter and whatnot. Uh, at No Laying Up, we have uh, Chad Coleman from Callaway's coming with us. Tom Coyne, the uh, the author of many of your favorite golf books, will be with us as well. Uh, and speaking of Callaway, you know how passionate they are about the game of golf and the people who make it special. So from now through May 31st, Callaway is donating $4 from every dozen ERC Soft yellow golf balls sold to the Children's Miracle Network Hospital. So yeah, you heard that right. Every time you buy a box of ERC Soft yellows, it directly benefits Children's Miracle Network Hospitals, a nonprofit organization that raises funds for children's hospitals as part of the industry-wide Play Yellow campaign. So pick up your ERC Soft yellow golf balls with triple track technology in stores or online at CallawayGolf.com and help support an amazing program. Without any further delay, let's get to our interview with David Cannon. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. I'm joined from the other side of the pond today by a legend in the golf industry. He is a golf photographer. Even if you don't know him by name, I promise you have seen his photographs. His name is David Cannon. David, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure. Well, for all of us that, uh, you know, I, I know a bit about your background, but I'm sure a lot of the listeners don't. I want to know how long you've got in, how long you've been in golf photography, who you've worked for and how you got into it. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> who I've worked for is quite simple because I effectively, I've worked for one company for the last 37 years and that, that company is, well, it's now Getty Images, but we were originally all sport and we were bought by Getty Images. So, you know, and all sport was an international picture agency so in effect we you'd see my pictures all over the world because the agency you know is effective all over the world and especially with getty images nowadays um you will see the pictures in all the far-flung parts of the world so that's the easy bit and you know i've been in it as i say since um 1983 i joined all sport so and i was only a professional sports photographer a year and a half before that uh, you know, I really started in specializing in golf from 1991 onwards. Well, I read something about you once, and I'm sure it's outdated now, and I'm wondering if you have an updated count, that you've flown around the world something of the equivalent of 96 times. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, added, I've probably added about 10 to that. 
Yeah, no, no, um, at least 10, I should think, yeah, and over 5,500 nights in hotel rooms. And, okay, so uh, do you keep all of your stats? Because I'd be curious to see what if you have a rundown of them. Well, no, I, I roughly did. I mean, I did this for a project um, two years ago. That, that figure came from two years ago. And, um, you know, I, I, I didn't keep it accurately, obviously, but I do remember very clearly what events I do have covered all my life because pictures are easy to remind you. I mean, there were some amazing stats, you know, like, I mean, I thought the you know, traveling around the world was quite important, but the best one to me was effectively, I reckon I've walked from London to Auckland in New Zealand covering golf, uh, while I'm covering golf tournaments. Oh, so that's 26,000 miles, basically. Do you wear a Fitbit or anything to, to track yep. your steps? Yeah, well, between fifteen and 25,000 a day, carrying, you know, up, up to... 35 pounds worth of camera equipment because we have to walk we don't get buggies like the tv crews do do you look down upon all the uh, tv crews that walk around in carts and you got to lug all the equipment around yourself well sometimes we do when there's a big hill you know we long to be on the back of a cart but actually i think i find you find better angles if you're a bit more flexible and able to walk and um, that's one thing you know when i'm photographing a golf course i tend to try and avoid going in a buggy in a funny sort of way because Unless there's time constraints on me, obviously you can get around quicker in a buggy. But um, I love walking because I see see angles and see positions that you don't see if you're driving around. Do you have any kind of estimation as to how many photographs you've taken over the years? Well, I mean, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands. I mean, here's a good example. When I was starting, if I first, went, say I went to my first, second, or third masters, I, I remember clearly shooting. And that was 84 was my first one. So this year was my 36 in a row. Um, I remember shooting about between 50 and 70 rolls of film, 36 exposures each. So, you know, with a rough mass, that's maybe 2,000 pictures in the whole week. Um, I shoot now with these digital cameras 2,000 pictures in a morning and can get to easily 4,000 in a day. So you can see the difference, you know, with technology straight off. So we were shooting film up till 2002. So, you know, I can make a rough estimate, but I mean, I shoot 10 times as much basically now because it doesn't cost us anything. (laughs) Right. How different is, you know, your job today than it was when you started? I mean, I I was just in reading some of the, some of your profiles Mm. and see it, the, the fact that you would, you know, take a picture and have no idea what it looked like until the next week absolutely blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd fly back from the masters with a bag of raw, raw film, you know, just exposed film. And then you'd wait for three to five hours for it all to be processed. And then it would take you another two hours to edit it. And, (laughs) And then you've got to, rely on the darkroom to make copies for you i mean clients weren't seeing our pictures until say the friday after the masters unless they were a special client who are you know we would make a very quick delivery to them so um yeah it's it's crazy the changes now how does it work does the photos you take do they go uploaded automatically to something do you have to go back in the media center to upload them somewhere how does that work yeah normally um at at a big event if I'm working in the Getty Images team, we would have a crew of editors at the event. So that's to say the major or a Ryder Cup or one of the bigger ones. We'd actually have on-site editors. And we either use runners from the course or 
if there's a good enough phone signal, but you know, when you get 40,000 people in the same place, the phone signal can be a bit tricky, but you can transmit from the camera. And uh, so that will then send straight back to the editors via an FTP site. And you know what, um, when we're, say, at a, a, a tournament in the Middle East, say at one of the Dubai tournaments, um, where there's not very big crowds and also there's very, very good phone signals, we have remote editors in London that, you know, we again transmit to the FTP site from the camera and then the editors in London do all the editing and sending them out. It's only minutes from the moment you've taken a picture to the mo- when they're up on the website. That's wild. So tra- transitioning a bit from, you know, the technical aspects of the photography, we're recording this on Wednesday after the Masters. You were there, obviously, this weekend. I think you just said it was 36 straight Masters you've covered. Yeah. We just saw Tiger Woods win it. Putting aside the photography side, if as a golf fan, and I assume you are a golf fan if you've been in this industry this long, oh, what yeah. was that like to be there? Uh, epic. I mean, really amazing. I mean, you know, we have a love, I've had a love-hate, not I, but I have not really a love-hate relationship with Tiger, but Tiger brought his own issues to the business. And, you know, from being a very civilized, we were very much welcomed as photographers wherever we went to suddenly uh, getting all the pressure of having Tiger around. You know, the restrictions came hard, hard and fast in the late 90s and all the all the hype with it caused you know, suddenly very few photographers cover golf, really. And, you know, it was just a small. And then suddenly we were, because of Tiger, the interest, the media interest was so increased. It was suddenly became very, very hectic. And I, I had a problem with that in a, in a funny sort of way. So it took me a little bit of time to get used to that. Then since then, it's changed slightly. You know, he obviously he had his dip and then things got kind of easy again but now he's back i know he's going to get tough again but um he brings an unbelievable spark to the game of golf and uh to be there on sunday was you know a real privilege to be honest and you can't describe the the sort of difference i've never seen crowd augusta people it was very not rare but only on certain occasions you had big following galleries with with a group but I promise you from that first hole to the 18th hole, it was six to eight deep every single hole. And, you know, we can't work inside the ropes at Augusta. So for us, it brings its own challenge. And um, I'm tall and I've got an English accent, which helps a little bit. But, you know, there were certainly occasions I wasn't even, uh, there was just no point in even trying to get in front of people. So, um, you know, it, it brings its own issues, but I would never have missed what he did. On, on Sunday, it's just incredible to see. Well, and that's kind of what I want to get at is that I'm not sure a lot of people realize how much of a challenge it is to photograph and to work at Augusta for you guys. Yeah, and I know. Yeah. So how, do you have to game plan to maybe get a hole or two ahead of him? Or uh, you have a great photograph that uh, I'll try to tag in the um, in the notes to the show of, yeah. you know, you have him from behind as he yeah. put, puts his I've two his hands bottom. in the air. Yeah. yeah. So how yeah. do you, is that just experience to be in the right spot, right time, no, know where the no. crowd's going to be down? Or well, no, how that, do you do that? Well, so... The 18th hole at Augusta, and again, it always amazes me how few people can see that 18th hole right. when you're there. There's no grandstands, and there are a little bit of rises, you know, natural natural hillocks or bumps, whatever you'd like to call them, round the green. There's a little amphitheater, but, I, I, you know, I couldn't equate what the figures are, but the 
that so few people get a good view of that final green. But this Sunday was quite incredible because I, I was on the right-hand side of the green. As you know, you can see from my pictures that I got backside of Tiger when he made that arms up in the air moment, which still made its own lovely picture. But if, when I looked down the fairway, it was extraordinary. I've never seen a sea of people like it was all the way down to the eighth hole. Every, anybody who could get any sort of elevation to see it, they were seeing it from 250 yards away. And I've never seen that at Augusta. And so, you know, we work as a team at Getty. We, we get four credentials for the tournament. And we have, there are three official photographic pens around the 18th green, which we have to access from the back of the crowd, which brings its own challenge. And each of these pens has between eight and 12 photographers in. And then the rest of us, the rest of the photographers have to, you know, queue up at 6.30 on a Sunday morning to get in a line to place their chairs around the 18th green. <laughs> just like everyone else. Yeah, just like anyone else, everyone else. So... um I, I always take the right-hand side of the green because I like trying to get a picture of the potential winner on the 16th, 17th, 18th holes. And the only one, the only sort of place, the side you've got a chance of getting into late is the right-hand side of the green. And over the last couple of years, you know, I've done a sneaky little with it, with it escorted by a Pinkerton guard up the inside of the rope, you know, as the leader's coming up to play a second shot on the 18th hole and squeeze in at the back of this pen on the side of the green which is again you have to be contortionist to get in there so which i'm beginning to get less and less at 64 years old you had mentioned too and i think that augusta used to have towers that photographers did. when did they remove those and was that just a free-for-all to get up to access to those no again we used to get we were, it was again it was the last it was the only place you could get to late on in the day mm -hmm. so i always used to take the tower to the left of the green this time and my god i wish i'd been up there this year because that <laughs> picture if that tower had been there this year would have been totally epic and you know that's it, we we obviously fought very very hard for it to be you know kept in place or something similar kept there in place but you know they they're very 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 careful of what they want to see at augusta and you know those towers had been there i don't know for 30 years whatever however long they had them there the problem is was that they were only full for the last afternoon and the last nine holes or last six holes you know when apart from odd moments when say nick price was coming up the 18th trying to break the course record or something like that um but you know sadly about there must have been Four or five years ago, they were taken down and, you know, you come back. Sorry, they're not there anymore. <laughs> and that's Augusta for you. But again, it added to the problems. I, I don't understand it, but I'm a very biased. I come from a very biased angle. Well, you know, you're responsible for, uh, I'm going to say, one of the most famous golf photos of all time, but you're also responsible for many of them. But the one I'm referring to is Jack with his putter raised mm -hmm. on 17 at the 86 yeah. Masters. I'm just curious how... It, I think if there's ever an event that can compare to something in the 80s, it is the Masters because it was in the pre, you know, they're still in the pre-cell phone era when you go there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Just that, that idea of scores being posted around a golf course and crowds cheering is really, it kind of hits me in my golf feels, if you will. Yeah. I just wonder if you could compare, have you ever seen anything like what happened this past weekend uh, with Tiger uh, other than what happened with Jack in 86? Ooh, very difficult. I mean, it, it was still the same. You know, every time Tiger made a birdie, I was down on the, you know, 
by Amen Corner and 12th, 12th T area. And um, I sat there for about the last six or seven groups that came through. And um, every time Tiger made a birdie, there was an absolutely epic cheer down there. And he was nowhere to be seen. And that was very similar to when Jack started, you know, eagling. I think he eagled 15, didn't he? And um, birdie 16. And those two cheers were astonishing. And when they went up, you know, the score went up on the 17th green when Jack just finished 16. Incredible. The noise. And then obviously I had to fight. And I remember in those days, there was a little, more, little bit more of a back to the right of the 17th hole. So you had a little bit more chance of getting an angle. Now they've taken away that bank completely. So if someone's, you know, it was eight deep there on Sunday, for instance, when Tiger was making his putt, and I wouldn't have got a single thing if he'd hold it, really. But, you know, when Jack did it, I had a little bit of height. Obviously, I've got height advantage because I'm over six foot. And I got, luckily, I didn't get anybody throwing their arms up in front of me, you know, which is another thing that happens all the time if you're <laughs> behind people. And, and that's the beauty, in a way, not having mobile phones there, because one of the one of the hazards we get now is that you know you have to be so aware of people just shoving a mobile phone up in the air in front of you. Well, on that height note, I, I was reading a story too about the uh, the photo you have of Phil at the 2010 Masters uh, yeah. from the Pine Straw on 13. Yeah. I was wondering if you could tell the story how you got that photo. Well, that was that was another begging at the last minute, you know, to find a little squeeze, a little gap from behind him. And again, another issue we get with Augusta nowadays is there's a lot more television crew out there. And uh, instead of only having one camera, there's usually there's now two cameras on each player on each shot. So you have to be aware of that. And, you know, so you can't take an angle straight behind the player. And I remember when Phil was playing that shot, I had to move quite a bit. And then I had just literally found a gap between, you know, a small person was in front of me, basically. Uh, in between two tall people and I was over that person's head you know hand holding a really big lens and those big lenses weigh quite a bit Mm -hmm. and I managed to you know catch a shot of Phil playing that shot it's not it's not the shot I wanted because the shot you'd obviously want from that picture is to see the the full context of the shot you know the tree right in front of him and then the green in the distance but um, you know it, it is that shot and it's a great record of that shot and i don't think very many people got that at all well okay so i want to pick your brain on on choosing uh the angles that you take photographs from and i think and it's kind of tie and i was going to kind of save this for the end for kind of giving people advice on taking photos in life in general but what i feel like correct me if i'm wrong in saying this that a really good photographer isn't necessarily looking at the foreground of what they're taking that needs to be the focus but the yeah. background is what makes it really yeah. important. Is that accurate yeah. to say? Oh, very, very accurate. I mean, you know, I have a couple of rules, if I can make the rules. Um, I try to avoid all cost rope in the background. Uh, all these tournaments have bright yellow ropes or something that cut through a far... And I try to use a long lens quite a bit, which makes the background go out of focus a lot more, so you isolate the subject. And then there's other occasions, you know, where you want to show the background because you want to see, like Phil's shot, you want to see that shot into the 13th green. You want to show the whole context of it. But again, I'm trying to place myself where I don't, say, have a television camera crew in it or I don't have big white tents in the background or ugly buildings or, you know, it's just, it's a combination of things. 
but um light is very important to me i was born and bred on color photography and you know in the days of shooting slide film in the 80s the the uh, the the color and the use of that color film meant you had to be so careful of where the sun was uh, you know only when the, in the first hour and the last hour of light in a you know when it's strong sunshine were you getting under people's hats and visors with a so there was no shadows because the digital cameras nowadays handle the shadows a lot more effectively and you see a lot more detail under a visor but it, when it was on those old contrasty slide films good luck you'd just see a black area you would never see any eyes you know and the eyes are the most important part of a picture you know everything you do about it in this business is focus on the eyes you can forget about the rest of a picture when you look at a picture people's eyes are drawn to the focus on the eyes of the subject so that's a very important thing as well Okay, so you've kind of started to answer it, but I, I was I was dead set on kind of asking this question. I want you to bear with me for a second. I'm going to play the role of an ignorant viewer about photography that knows nothing about it, and I'm going to yeah. say, "Hey, what's so hard about your job? You aim a camera and you push a button." And I and I do kind of want you to, in detail, even if we don't necessarily under, understand the lexicon, explain yeah. the kind of process of taking a photo, balancing light aperture, all that stuff to just kind of yeah. put into context what it takes to take a great photograph. Well, I could, you know, I can start. It's, it's quite, it's probably easier and more effective to describe what it was like when we were shooting film. Uh -huh. And that was just such a different process to what it is now. But the bottom line, you still got to expose it properly because if you don't expose the digital file correctly, you're losing, um, you know, content of that image because you haven't you haven't exposed that area correctly it doesn't record effectively the the light in the right way so you have to expose it really really well and that's the thing with with uh film it had to be exposed properly so i was very lucky when i first started taking pictures that i had a very very good mentor neville chadwick in leicester which is the city i come from he gave me two pieces of advice the very first event I went to with him and I was just sitting minding his cameras while he ran the line at a rugby match and um, he said just sit in the corner he said I'll give you two tips uh, focus on the eyes and try and fill the frame and so uh, that was where I started with those two pieces of advice and they've held firm all the way through my career and then I soon learned after you know a few little disasters with it about exposing color film that unless you expose things properly, the pictures were never going to get used. Well, they were just worthless basically. So you know, I suddenly learned that you—it's not just pointing the camera. You've got to point the camera. You've got to know the sport. That's very important. But you've got to learn how to use the camera to expose things right. So shutter speed and aperture became very, very important. And that sport is obviously generally a fast action thing. So you need to use the high shutter speeds. And also one of the things that we like about um, high quality sports images is you lose the background. And the two techniques for that are to either use a long lens or you work, work on lenses at wide open apertures. And then you get depth of field issues because the, the depth of field for an image you know, if I'm shooting 
say Seve Ballesteros on the 18th green at St Andrews, that famous picture of him, uh, you know, celebrating so brilliantly when he won in 1984. I probably had six inches of depth of field from 30 yards. So from 30 yards away, there's only six inches. I have to have that camera manually focused onto a, a point. So within on his face, within so it has to be within six inches correct, or else the picture's going to be out of focus and not usable. Huh. And you won't know that until the next week. No, I didn't know till the next morning. You know, I drove overnight with that picture. I was so excited about it. I thought oh, I'm going to get down to London for six o'clock in the morning so the lab can process that. So I literally drove overnight with that one. So that that you know that has kept me. I think that has been one of the best things I've learned. In that first two to three years, learning how to expose film properly. Is that the one photo of yours that you that you think is your your best or your favorite? Oh, it's my favorite because he's my hero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Full stop. I got to know Savvy Greeley quite well, and I spent a lot of time with him doing books and uh, you know ad shoots for his clothing companies, and and just went to Spain a couple of times to his home and did features with him at home. And I think we had a very much a huge mutual respect for each other. And um, he, he he was just such a, an amazing person to photograph because he had one of the best smiles you could ever see. But also he could scowl like nobody else and he could, you know, look angry like anybody, nobody else. And he was just, I, I think in my career, there's been four golfers that every single day I go out. I knew I was going to get a special picture. Now, Seve was the first one. Um, Greg Norman was probably the next one in the 90s. He was amazing to photograph. And then along came Tiger. Absolutely incredible to photograph. You know, those eyes of Tigers are just brilliant. And if you're focusing on people's eyes, those are the easiest eyes you've ever seen to photograph. And then, you know, Rory has come along. Now, he's he's been brilliant to photograph, but he's not quite the same. I wouldn't say he's got them he does react amazingly and but his you know his game hasn't quite kicked on as i thought it would from three years ago but um i'm still hoping that he's going to be my fourth one so you know you kind of touched on you know we were talking about there about hoping that the pictures are in focus and all that i was wondering if there's any horror stories of you know you shoot for a whole week and you get back you get back the next week and you realize everything was wrong is is there any been any learning experiences yeah i've been lucky touchwood you know i've had uh, you know i've had no real total out and out disasters we've had I've had moments when, say, eight films, because we used to have what they call racks of film. Used to, when you used to process the slide film, they'd go on racks that would take four rolls of film at a time. They'd hang over these racks. And, you know, I've had eight rolls just being completely fried, uh, you know, and there's nothing you can do. There is absolutely nothing you can do. You know, um, I've, I've um, only once formatted a digital card when I shouldn't have done but then there's the rescue program that can get you some of it back, not guaranteed. <clears throat> but that takes ages and is so infuriating. So I've only done that once and I won't do it again. You learn from that. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, you know, when we were processing film, the accidents did happen. You know, I have heard of awful disasters, you know, when whole jobs have been written off because the film might have been x-rayed that was another thing we had in those days you know you come back and suddenly there are all these little blue lines all down the film it means they'd been zapped 
in the x-ray machine at the airport yeah so you know that's gone luckily have you uh ever had a camera accidentally go off in someone's back yeah rory yeah Uh that's the worst one ever it was um and it wasn't actually my fault because I was able to leave the camera on the ground and it was firing away merrily on its own. It got electrical short in the terrible weather in the open at, um, at St. George's. And it was right behind him, beautiful sky. It was a really lovely picture, or it would have been. And I just literally, I just pressed it as he was about, you know, you half focus on these cameras, they're half press. And I pressed it and it suddenly started firing away as he's just taking his takeaway on the 18th tee at St. George's. Oh. And he turns around and looks at me, you know, and then he suddenly looks at me, and I put it on the ground and said, I can't stop it. And I literally couldn't stop it. It was going click, 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 right on the ground in front of me. Eventually, I just dragged the battery out, but I was mortified, you know, and he was in playing a decent round at that stage. But uh, that's my worst one. Did he, did he complete the swing or did he, did he stop before he, before no, he, he, stopped, when he heard the sound? he stopped okay. luckily. He stopped luckily. So, you know, we were able to go again, as they say. But <laughs> yeah. So that's the worst I've had with that. I'm blaming water totally for that. But I could have been me. I could have pressed too hard. I don't know. <laughs> what is, what's your favorite place to visit or to photograph or, you know, place you go back to a lot or any place you've been one time? Uh, the place I love, I love Turnbury in Scotland. Um, I am absolutely, you know, the the fact that a certain president of the United States owns it is oblivious to me because I think what he's done to that golf course is beyond sensational. The golf golf course is now, I didn't think it'd get much better than it was, but I can honestly say these they've the changes they've Martin Ebert has made to the Elsa course at Turnbury have been absolutely sensational. And also the other course, the King Robert the Bruce now is a golf course that really, you know, matches up to the Ailsa course as well. But I love Turnbury because my mother was based there during the war. And every time we, we used to go on our holidays, family holidays in Scotland, we used to stop at Turnbury on the way up. Mm. And so it became a very special place to me. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to work for Turnbury doing their course pictures for well, 25, 30 years now. And... Um, and I love going to Scotland. I love Scotland, and you know it's in my blood. But I, I must admit, when I went to New Zealand, wow, they've got some golf courses down there, and that's an extraordinary country to go to. What caught your attention in New Zealand the most? Cape Kidnappers, Kidnappers, and Carry Cliffs. Yeah. Both of them, in their own way, were you know you know they're just sensational. Um, and then I been to which is it's leopard creek in south africa okay which is owned by a fantastic south african businessman johan rupert and um this golf course is literally the augusta of south africa or almost the augusta of the rest of the world it's got sub air systems you know the Mm -hmm. most amazing course designed by jack nicholas and gary player between them and it is right on the edge literally you've got the huge river crocodile river golf course and then on the other side of it is the kruger national park and you know you can stand behind the 13th green look out of there and there's elephants crocodiles anything you want by the edge of that river and even on the golf course there are obviously a lot of leopards by the name of the golf course but i've been out there and there's giraffe in the middle of the first fairway you know it's wow fantastic place to go 
and it's the most amazing, amazing golf course. Hmm. I remember, you know, we, we met you in Abu Dhabi last year, actually, and you were talking yeah. with a business partner of mine. And he, uh, I remember yeah. you had mentioned to him that you really liked photographing in Dubai. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, that's another part of the world. And I've been there since uh, my first went in 1986. There was hardly a blade of grass in right. Dubai in 1986 of any description anywhere. And um, that was when they had the Emirates Golf Club as the, the first plans were built were drawn up and Sheikh Mohammed had this vision for Dubai you know to become the to become the uh, business center of the Middle East basically and uh, it was his vision and he they, they decided that golf could become part of this a very important catalyst for attracting major businesses to the area and uh, the Emirates Golf Club was the first one. And I photographed the Emirates Golf Club from a square kilometre of desert to now. And I've got amazing pictures from the changes from 86 to 2000. And I think the last time I went up in a helicopter was 2014. And I took pictures from the same angle. And it's indescribable. Mm -hmm. you know, and there's now probably 25 grass golf courses, fantastic quality in Dubai alone. Abu Dhabi have now come, you know, fast on the on their t on their heels, and you know, Oman and uh, and Qatar and all those countries, even Saudi now, are getting into golf. And you know, I heard someone telling me that they're going to build twenty five grass courses in Saudi in the next ten years. <laughs> Not if Sergio has anything to say with it about it. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, but you know, it just shows that yeah, it's it's a kind of a false boom for golf in that area, those areas. But they're very, very important. And, you know, Dubai's con contribution to the uh, European tour has been massive. Right. What? Uh, how many countries have you been to? Do you have a tally of that? Yeah, 116 was the latest. 116. <laughs> yeah, because I did, a lot of, I did a lot of football photography in my early days. Mm -hmm. And my goodness, football takes you all over the world. You know, I basically did the whole of South America in, in a three-week trip. What are some of the most exotic places you've been? Well, Costa Rica was pretty good fun. Honduras was pretty fun when I did the football in those two countries. I went to, uh, you know, the Far East, Thailand is absolutely beautiful. It's hard to describe it. Yeah, I get a bit spoiled, don't I, when you think <laughs> about it. I love India. I think India is one of the most incredible countries to go to. I haven't done enough golf in India, but, um, you know, I think India for fantastic people and just amazing colors as a photographer i don't think you'll find a better country to go to and i've just finished up taking pictures the whole of my holiday there huh. any uh is there any country you haven't been to that you're really dying to get to mm. well i you know i've had a, a 12 hour layover in moscow and actually i haven't done anything more than that in russia which is amazing to me and i'm really quite keen to go to russia i think I don't know why, but I just got the, uh, some sort of mystery about it to me. Uh, Iceland was high on, my, on the top of my list, but I, I finally went there last year. And that was, uh, you know, I went there in middle of June, midnight golf, literally midnight golf, teeing off at five to midnight. And, hey, you know, by quarter to one, there was full daylight out there, basically. <laughs> it was extraordinary. I did but, that uh, up in northern Norway a couple summers ago, yeah. and it's did you? it's hard to Lofton. describe to people. Yep, yeah, I went to Lofton, yeah. and it's it yeah. describe it. It's as bright as it is today at any moment yeah. at three o'clock yeah. in the morning. It's it's yeah yeah unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, 
what are uh, what are some of the best golf experiences you've ever had? And, and on the same lines, I was going to nah. say, if you had like a if you had to play your final round of golf tomorrow and you got to choose any mm-hmm. course, what would that be? Well, other than the Elsa course at Turnbury, um, I've got a very big affection for Old Head of Kinsale. Okay. Yeah, I think that's in in terms of golfing experiences. I don't think you can go. You know, you have to go a long way to beat that as an experience it's not if you're a pure you know an analyst of a golf course you'd have a lot of reasons to think old head is a mickey mouse golf course that's very unfair to call it mickey mouse but it's a trick golf course in a lot of ways there's quite a few blind shots and also some of the bounces can be quite testing shall we say but for breathtaking views and then the most amazing clubhouse, the most amazing accommodation, you can go there and lose yourself for four days and that's it. You know, play golf, eat, and just have the most beautiful time, most beautiful place you can imagine. So there in the you know, Cary Cliffs in New Zealand was another one that was really, really sensational. Mm-hmm. I hear that about about Old Head is the site is and the scenery is just second to none. But the yeah. golf course itself isn't necessarily the greatest experience, but it's just something you got to yeah. see. I mean, the pictures from it are just incredible yeah. that they would think to, to yeah. put a land. But that kind of not dissimilar, I would think, to Cape Kidnappers, the way they lay out that back nine yeah. amongst the cliffs yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, to me, I, I, I think the west coast of Ireland is very very hard to beat anywhere in the world for playing golf you know you could start up at Ballyliffin and go all the way around that wild atlantic way all the way down to down to old head and play you know uh, many many golf courses uh, that are just the most beautiful experience you could ever imagine well, that by the time this podcast airs, that's exactly where we're going to be. Funny enough, we're we're taking <laughs> off there from next week. Uh, I'm going to let you out here on two two questions here, and you've kind of already answered one of them, and I, yeah. I liked your answer on uh, you know focus on the eyes and filling the frame. But to anyone, any amateur f- photographer out there, even if they're taking pictures on their phone, what's like some simple yeah. advice you would give people? Um, watch your backgrounds. Literally, you know, try try and fill that frame. Even a family shot, you know, it's amazing how something in the background can distract what uh, from the picture you're trying to take or the moment you're trying to remember. So that's the most important thing. And obviously the light's quite important as well. So you've just got to make sure there's enough light there to get a decent quality picture. And if you're shooting on iPhones, try and make a book every year. Mm-hmm. You know, for my family, I religiously make a book every year. So that we've got a printed record of our year. Hmm. And I think, you know, the, the, this day and age, so many people take hundreds of pictures and you never see them in print. And it's amazing how powerful and it, uh, still images in print. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, you've seen the game of golf change in many ways over, over the course of, you know, several decades hmm. in the industry. What do you think the future of golf looks like? And do you like kind of where the game is currently trending? You know what? I've got two ways to look at this. I think that the game of golf itself has improved. It, you know, you can't even imagine the equipment, the, you know, the standard of the golf courses. And I think back to play, I played quite seriously as an amateur in the 70s. And I remember, you know, you'd never play greens even close to what, like we have nowadays. 
So the actual quality of golf has improved so, so, so much. Uh, the clubs are better. The balls are better. You know, I th the opportunities to play everywhere are better. You can fly everywhere, everywhere you want. But my biggest concern is the age of people playing the game of golf. And I think, I know the you know the RNA the USGA are so well aware of this, but the 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 pace of play is one of the nastiest things we've got in golf at the moment. Something has to be done to speed it up. You know, when I was playing amateur golf, if we were over three and a half hours in a three ball, we were crucified. And you know, I had a son who went to play college golf in America, or I have a son who has played college college golf in America. His first one. He rang me in almost fits of rage saying, I've just taken six hours, 10 minutes to play 18 holes. <laughs> and I rang his coach and I said, he said, I'm afraid it's like this every week. Mm. And I just think, you know, five and a half hours is a norm. So somewhere someone's got to get hold of the speed of play because we're losing golfers left, right and center. You know, there's a stat around in Britain that we're 400,000 golfers down in the last 10 years, membership wise at golf courses. And that's a pretty frightening stat. Mm -hmm. Well, you guys do a much better with the pace of play on your side of the pond than we do over here. I know. Uh, yeah, well, we're stricter on the European tour, definitely. Well, you even know? just casual play. I mean, we we yeah. played around at the St Andrews New Course a couple of years ago. Four of us walking, and we made yeah. the turn in an hour and fifty minutes, and we got told to speed it up at the turn. <laughs> we're like, okay, yeah, yeah, we yeah. are not in Kansas anymore. Uh, very last question: How much? How do you have any idea how long you're going to stay in golf photography? Do you oh. have any plans to retire? Are you going to stick around forever? No. As long as my body and my legs and my eyes keep going, I love it so much. You know, it's what I do. I mean, how many people in their lives can say that every single day they get up, they look forward to working? And I've had this since I found photography, and it's been an amazing part of my life, and golf's been an amazing part of the life all the way through. And uh, I just hope I'm going to make... I won't say I'll make 50 Masters, but if I make certainly make 40 which is, you know, four away. And um, I hope if I can make my 50 Open Championships and then see where I, if I make 150 majors. I've done 117 now. So if I can make 150 majors, I think I'll have left a great legacy to the game of golf. I think you're well, well, well on your way, if not already there, David. So we appreciate you taking the time. I've really enjoyed hearing your stories, and thank you for uh, all you do for the game of golf. Like I said at the beginning, I think people probably don't even realize how often they see your pictures floating around and kind of what you what you add to the game. So thanks for taking the time and for oh, pleasure, uh, yeah. and for giving us this interview. It was a, it was a blast. Very much look, looking forward to speaking to you again sometime. All right, I'll track you down on the road. We'll do. Yeah, definitely. All right, thanks, David. Cheerio. Bye. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything.